Welcome to Conversations at the Crossroads, a ministry of Crossroads Church in Sandy, Utah, where we discuss topics related to scripture texts, theology, and the culture around us. We're glad you could listen in today. Come join us for the conversation. Welcome to another conversation. My name is Ken McCauley, and with me is Pastor Matt Imadi from Crossroads Church in Sandy, Utah. And Matt, recently at the church, we had a lecture on atonement. And there we talked about penal substitutionary atonement, Christ paying the penalty in our place as our substitute. And part of that was given over to a number of false theories, let's just call it a spade a spade, false theories of the atonement, one of which that has been popular through the history of the church was the ransom theory, uh, more precisely, uh, ransom to Satan, that uh, Christ's death was to pay a ransom to Satan. And the idea behind it is, well, Satan is in charge of this world, or he's in charge of fallen humanity. And some of the texts that come up that maybe we can talk about would be uh, Ephesians 2.2, where he's referred to as the prince of the power of the air. John refers to him as the god of this world. 2 Corinthians 4.4, I believe it is, he's the god of this world. So I guess let's start with the question, is Satan in charge of this world? Yeah, that's a good question. Because of texts like that, we have to deal with them and get at exactly what they mean. So the answer I would suggest is if we are talking about who is sovereign over the cosmos, over the created world, Satan is not sovereign, right? He, he is not kind of in charge, governing the course of human history and all the events that unfold. The Bible is overwhelmingly clear that God is sovereign, that he not only created the world, that he sustains the world, and that he executes his will with precision, right? He works all things according to the counsel of his will, which means he's sovereign over Satan. And we need to start, I think, just with that fundamental truth. Absolutely, especially given the infiltration of conservative, otherwise conservative Baptist churches uh, in our area, of the idea that really comes from word-faith theology, that God had to kind of scheme and trick his way in to the world, uh, that he had to cut a deal like he did with Job, uh, and they would even portray the events in the prelude to the to Job hmm. as God kind of cutting a backroom deal with the devil. And uh, I think it's important that we emphasize that that is a, a false concept right. of uh, who is in charge in this world. Right. Yeah. So I think that's exactly right. And the question we have to answer then is what is what are those texts getting at when, for example, Ephesians two, where Paul says you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. So there is a sense in the Bible in which humanity born in sin, born in a a, a spiritually dead state, outside of the presence of God, cut off from him, children of Adam depraved are under the influence and the deception of Satan, right? That he does have deceitful schemes that he uses in the world to advance his lies and people apart from the new birth and apart from 
being transferred to, as Paul says, the kingdom of the beloved son, are in this domain of darkness, of deception and of influence and of um, tyranny of being enslaved. We'll typically summarize it as being enslaved to the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, it refers to him in that verse as the prince of the power of the air. And I've heard many people immediately take that to mean he is in charge of the air. I I used to work for a Christian radio network, not this one. (laughs) They would literally say that by sending out the gospel on the airwaves, we were invading Satan's territory because he's a prince of the power of the air. Now, I don't know how much of that was said tongue-in-cheek. I didn't at the time get the sense that it was. So is Paul talking there about Satan being the prince and being in charge of, in control of, the physical envelope around the earth. No, I mean, that just seems like such a, an, I don't know, an anachronistic idea or imposing modern categories on the Apostle Paul. It's funny because I've joked about that where I've said Satan is the prince of the power of the airwaves. But yeah. I've, I've been joking, so I don't know that people actually There are many who take, t- that who take idea. it that way. No, I don't think that's what's going on here because that would be, I think, alien to... Uh, Paul's context and worldview. Um, so what do you think is going on when, by using the word air? I, I've heard a couple of different accounts, and I lean toward, and now offhand I can't recall, it may have been uh, John MacArthur in one of his sermons, but I may be wrong there. Uh, but the the idea is it is a reference to a pagan understanding at the time of a a pagan deity who was very prominent in the Ephesian cult. Mm, That wouldn't surprise me. So that it it was kind of uh, not a nod to that, but taking a familiar category and using that. Yeah. that's I mean, I feel like that's more, at least you can argue that from the historical context and from what's going on and why Paul's addressing the Ephesians and addressing this issue of spiritual warfare so much. Because they were surrounded by magic and paganism and, you know, these false gods. But the bigger point is there is a sense in which humanity, I mean, it's not even a sense, it's a reality. Humanity was to take dominion over the earth. They were to dwell with God in the garden, but after listening to the voice of the serpent, they're cast out. And so Hebrews 2 will speak using Psalm 8 and creation imagery, that we don't see all things subjected to humanity, right? We still die. Right. And, and outside of Christ, we are in spiritual darkness. So that there's a sense in which in losing dominion and being now born in sin and inclined towards evil, we are in this tyrannical relationship with spiritual powers of evil, which Paul says in Ephesians 1, again, this book in the New Testament that is so rich with these themes, Paul says in Ephesians 1 that Jesus has been exalted in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. So he's been exalted not only over all earthly kings, but over all spiritual beings as well. He's not only exalted from eternity, but based on his life, death, and resurrection as the God-man, he has been exalted and restored dominion to humanity. Right. And and even in Paul's cosmology, he speaks of being brought up into the third heaven. 
And without kind of taking a huge rabbit trail on that, is he saying that Satan's in charge of the second heaven? Right. That, that seems like an odd terminology for Satan's kingdom. And, you know, to move more to a modern cosmology, my question would be, you know, if Elon Musk fires a rocket through the air and beyond the air, is he now out of Satan's power? <laughs> right. You know, is there a jurisdiction? This it really is fraught with many other uh, problems that kind of bundle in with the, the bizarre cosmology of the word faith movement. Yeah, it's it's we're not talking about geographical boundaries. Right. We're talking about spiritual realities. Right. And th- which you know we could we could go on to some of the other texts that are, are kind of brought up in, in this in this context. Second Corinthians four verse four, speaking to those who are, of those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And again, the main point in that context is the gospel, not Satanology, you know. Uh, and, you know, here it's seized on that it says he's the God of this world. So if he's the God of this world, then if, then if Yahweh wants to save people who are in this world, he has to get through Satan, and he has to kind of trick his way in, sneak in through the back door of the incarnation. And again, this is not consistent with Scripture. Yeah. The text here, the world is Ion. It's the age Ages, yeah. that we're in. Yeah, we're in this age of sin, this age of death, this age of Adam, right? Not the coming age, which is inaugurated and ruled by Christ. And it's important to get these ideas right because, as you brought up at the very beginning, it affects our understanding of, of what Jesus came to do and what the atonement is about. Right. He, it's not that he had to pay a ransom to Satan because Satan is ultimately in charge. That's not the. That's just not what the Bible presents. The Bible, like you said, presents Jesus bearing the penalty for sinners as their substitute and the object of his sacrifice is God, right? To appease God's wrath. Right. And recognizing that truth, the result, the effect of that is that Satan is disarmed. He doesn't yeah. have powers of accusation or to keep people blinded in their sin because death has been dealt with, sin has been dealt with, and Christ is king. Yeah, going back into the Old Testament even, and the shadows and types, not a single one of the sacrifices laid out for us in the Pentateuch were ever made to Satan. Right. No, this was to appease the 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 holy wrath of God and to do so through the 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 shedding of the blood of these sacrificial animals. And those are pointing us ahead to Christ, the final and perfect sacrifice. Yeah. So these texts like in Colossians where Paul is talking about Christ's atoning work, and he says, and you were dead, this is Colossians 2.13, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So that's his substitutionary death that has fully satisfied the wrath of God and paid the penalty in full. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, and then he says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So the Bible will address Christ's victory over Satan and spiritual forces of evil, but it's not central to what the meaning of the cross is about. It's the 
It's the byproduct and the result of his penal substitutionary work. You know, Revelation presents Satan as the great accuser who accuses the brothers night and day before God. And apart from Christ, he has a legitimate case to make as a prosecutor. They've sinned. They've broken your law. You're holy. They deserve death. But Jesus paying the penalty, substituting himself, satisfying the wrath of God, renders that record of debt set aside, as Paul says, and Satan has no case to make. Right. Absolutely. And none of this has any bearing on the the efficacy of what Christ accomplished. In other words, the idea that we, he paid a ransom to Satan, that there's no scriptural warrant. Right. But that that just doesn't cover the bulk of what the Bible says about what Jesus came to do, what he actually accomplished on the cross, right. and uh, for whom he accomplished it. Right. So, you know, we're, we're back to this, what Scripture presents is an accomplished salvation by our great substitute in our place, on our behalf, paying the penalty to his Father and paying it in full. That's right. Well, if you have questions or comments uh, about today's topic, if you'd like to join in the conversation, reach out to us at conversations at crossroadschurchutah.org. That's conversations with an S at crossroadschurchutah.org.